Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcasted live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. You live in you talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone. Live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. And hi again, everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, the alternate ego, if you will, of the Dan Scott Show. Good to have you with us. Good to be back for another week. And uh, we look forward to spending uh, another hour or so with you today going through everything that's happening in the world of sports, at least our world of sports, and um, offering up a few opinions on some things along the way. The podcast is presented by our friends at uh, Tadaro Pizza. They are located at um, uh, or on North Markley Street in downtown Greenville, just down the block from Fleur Field at the West End, where the Greenville Drive will begin play, by the way, on May the 4th. We'll talk about that a little bit. But it's bucket list pizza, man. I keep telling you that. If you haven't had it, you need to. If you're not from the upstate of South Carolina and you're coming into town, you need to make Tadaro Pizza a stop. For one of your meals because you'll absolutely love it. They have uh, gone to great lengths to provide a safe dining environment indoors. And as the weather's warming up outdoors, they have a, a great space. John and his folks, they are just phenomenal. Uh, they have been great to us. We appreciate their continued support. Todaropizza.com is the website. T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com is the website. You can also find them on Facebook and um, on Twitter. And you have uh, now all that information at your disposal. So go check them out, Tadaro Pizza. Thank them for being the presenting sponsor of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. We also want to thank some other sponsors as we get rolling here. Uh, Brian Dooley and Pickens Family Chiropractic in downtown Pickens, South Carolina. The Hall of Fame Sports Grill on Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Hank's Beverage in Greenville. Your State Farm agent, Ed Patterson. Uh, at Cherrydale Plaza in Greenville and the Atlanta Bread Company also at Cherrydale in Greenville. We will step aside for a moment, come back, and uh, well, we've got a full boat. Dave Glenn will be back with us. Tom Van Hoy is here and maybe a surprise or two as well as episode 33 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters gets rolling in just a moment. Sometimes in life you simply need to treat yourself to the best. And every time you lift a refreshing soda from Hank's Beverages to your lips, you're simply already a winner. It doesn't matter if it's a root beer, orange cream, vanilla cream, black cherry, or grape soda. There's a reason Hank's Beverages has been known as Philly's best for well more than a decade. Find Hank's online at hanksbeverages.net or you can find their product here in the upstate at Ingalls Supermarkets, Lowe's Grocery Stores, and Harris Teeter. 
Dan Scott here for the Atlanta Bread Company. What do I like about Atlanta Bread? Well, too much to mention in a short commercial, but here are a few things. Bread baked daily fresh on site, a tremendous selection of soup, sandwiches, and salads, seasonal special additions to the menu, delicious hot coffee, and a bevy of other drink options, and yeah, can't forget about the baked sweet goodies. Dine in or carry out, and when you have the Atlanta Bread Company app, you can order and pay online, then breeze past the lines to the pickup counter to get your food. Experience it for yourself. That's the Atlanta Bread Company, Cherry Dale Point in Greenville. Let me tell you something, Cowboy. This rookie can really bring the heat. He's smoky and spicy with a Chipotle style all his own. It's a new Montgomery Inn Chipotle barbecue sauce. Make it a part of your home team. Available now at your neighborhood grocer or online at CincyFavorites.com. All right, we are back and just getting things cranked up on a, another Monday. Good to have you along for the ride. I told you in the open that we may have a surprise for you. We, we, Tom Van Hoy is back uh, after being away on assignment last week. Dave Glenn will be back in the second half of our get-together. Cobb Oxford was here last week. Cobb is back again this week, setting an all-time record for consecutive weeks on the air. <laughs> And now we've got the entire band together. Dory Kid Smith is here, fresh off of the professional pickleball circuit. <laughs> How are you, Wish. Dory? I am doing great. Yes, I am the band aide, not necessarily a member. You, you know that I'm we. I'm the president of the fan club. I'll take. I, I seamstress. For the band. Seems yes. just for the band. Yeah, we we made fun of you unmercifully last week. By the way, just oh, just so lovely. you know. Well, that wasn't nice. I'll have to listen again. I have to listen back to it. I didn't get a chance last week. It was a crazy week. Yes, pickleball is my aspiration. My, I am actually hoping to one day play in a uh, pickleball tournament. That would be glorious. I don't know, Cobb. I think you and I went down the same road last week. We've heard a lot of lame excuses because we've given a lot of lame excuses. So that kind of makes us experts. I told Dan last week that pickleball on a Monday morning at 9 o'clock absolutely, totally trumps snow in Pendleton in July. There's no well, doubt. Lapped it. Lapped I don't know it. if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm trying to figure that out. It was You guys would love it. So none of you are players, I'm assuming. Well, I'm, it's not a, you know disparaging the sport of pickleball in any way, shape, or form. It's the fact that you missed a show because you were playing pickleball at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning. Listen, had you called me first, I would have been there. But okay. I, didn't give, I didn't get an invitation <laughs> until okay. it was too late. I had a commitment. Okay. But I've fallen in love with it, to be honest with you guys. I love that sport. I mean, I mean, I've now reached, I, I can appreciate it. It's basically tennis, ping pong, and racquetball all mashed up and at a slower pace. So which, I kind which, of like that too. Which Tom makes it sound like a sport you would excel in. <laughs> That's right. TVH. You, you know, Dan, Dan, you know, I, pickleball court. I, I, you know what? I don't even know what it is. It's like, it's like tennis, but not, it, it's, I don't know. Yes. Short net and you play it in the driveway. That's all I know about it. Okay. No, not necessarily. Well, you could, but you know, where I'm learning the rules as I go, and I'm really and truly, I've been playing now for two whole weeks. 
So all right. I'm a novice. So is Tommy ball like a home. tennis ball? Is it what is it? Yeah, well, it's actually sort of like a wiffle ball. Wiffle ball, that's what I It's about the like size ball. of a tennis ball, but it's plastic. And uh, so it's, it bounces a lot slower, which is nice. <laughs> hey, Dan, we broadcast everything else. Maybe we, you and I could, when Dory's oh, playing sometime, we go over there. and I'd sign up. For Facebook I told you guys to come on. Welcome I invited you last on. week. Come in all along I'm to Dan's guys. That's right. <laughs> Live from Easley. <laughs> you know hey. what? Don't knock it so you uh, the, the direction that my career has been heading over the past <laughs> decade, that would be right that, that'd be heading right there. So you'd have be to the use right. your golf voice. You'd have to use your golf voice. Uh, my under, golf voice on the pickleball court. Baseball voice. Do, do you right. play on uh, pickleball on a court? Uh, on you a do. on a pitch? Well, you can play on a tennis court. In fact, that's where we played last week outdoors at Pope Field in Easley, South Carolina. And we also have played at the uh, YMCA's across the country, I'm sure, have pickleball courts indoors. It's basically like a volleyball court, any kind of basketball court. You just put up the net, and all you need is a ball and a, a racket. You do need a racket, an actual pickleball racket. So I can hook you all up, all three of you. How about it? We have four <laughs> players. You need, it's two on two. Essentially, there are singles. I think people do play singles, oh, but I was playing doubles. So Let's go. That's going to have to happen sometime in 2021. Yeah. Okay. If you say so. Um, it's good. It's good to see everybody. We're doing this via Zoom as as per usual. So you know we get to see uh, Cobb's uh, all orange office. We we get to see Dory's interchangeable background when she decides she wants to change the the picture behind her. And and then Tom looks like he's about to levitate at, at any moment. Take well, for a, a vertical takeoff. <laughs> 30-year-old ceiling fan coming out of the top of my head. You know, we were joking. I used to have the VH. Nobody nobody thought it was Van Hoy. They thought it was Van Halen. And, Dan, you and I have been on so many road trips that nobody drives 55 like Sammy Hagar. No, you know no. What I mean? So, anyway. <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right, let, let's get to uh, some of the, the news of the day. And uh, one of the interchangeable backgrounds Dory was, was putting up a minute ago, uh, paying homage to the Masters and, so we'll, we'll kind of turn to Cobb Oxford there um, as our resident golf expert. What do you think about, uh, first of all, getting to play the Masters when you're supposed to play it, which did not happen right. in, in, in 2020. But, Having a few uh, fans or patrons on the grounds was a big deal. Um, but like I was talking to you before we came on the air, Matsuyama winning is a huge deal because because a Japanese male had never won a major championship. Uh, Matsuyama had been close before. Uh, made some bogeys down the stretch, but had a big enough pad um, to hang on. Uh, uh, Shoffley took the pressure off on 16 with a triple, and that was pretty much all she wrote right there. Uh, in addition to him, the story was... Um, Will Zalateris, who played at Wake Forest, who is a doesn't even have full membership on the PGA Tour, who uh, played a solid first Masters and acted like he'd been there before. And uh, so that was the two storylines, basically. The golf course was firm, dry, fast, difficult. Um, a lot of people said pre-tournament, Double digits would probably be a 
excellent score, and that's what happened. Ten under won it. So um, uh, it was uh, not probably the most compelling Masters I've ever seen, but the fact that Matsuyama won it made it unique and special. Yeah, you just get the sense that that's going to be something that's going to be celebrated in Japan for a long, long time. Because as you told me prior to starting here, that is a golf-crazy nation. He'll never have to buy another meal wherever he goes uh, in Japan. I mean, that will be celebrated. Uh, They they are a uh, golf-crazy country. You know, Cobb, back in the day, it was appointment television, the Masters. And right. as, as, as someone who's a big golf guy and you watched all of it, do, do you watch it now? Like uh, you can click on ESPN or wherever it is and, or CBS and you can watch holes 13, 14, 15 on men quarter. How, how do you watch it as a golf yeah, guy? Yeah, I do some of that, especially on Thursday and Friday. Um, uh, it's, I mean, back in the day, you remember – if you watch the Masters at all, they they did not allow coverage of the front nine. Mm-hmm. Just, it went for years that they wouldn't show any. The only only thing you've got to see from the front nine was video highlights. They would not show the front nine live. And then uh, they came into to modern golf TV, realizing that. They've got a product that a lot of people want to see. I mean, it, it is the start of the golf season for most of America. And uh, so now we've got wall-to-wall 18-hole coverage um, like every other major. And uh, it's, uh, it's a unique major, and then it's played at the same venue every year. And, uh, yeah, they – with I'm sure IBM being one of their partners, you know, they're more and more and more into technology. And, uh, so it, um, but yeah, it's, it's different now. And, uh, and, you know, plus with direct TV, you can hit the button, tape it, um, watch it later. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I really haven't, even back in the day, Tom, when I covered four masters, you would, walk the course in the morning and then you'd go back to the press building in the afternoon where there were TVs and that's how you covered a golf tournament because you just can't, can't can't see it all you can't be every place at once you would hear the roaring and know something happened but uh, you'd have to see the, the highlight later because you didn't realize what happened I mean, unless the number went up on the board and you're like okay I know what I, I know what happened but uh unique place hopefully next year they'll get back to full full patrons and uh and we'll uh we'll get back to to normal did did you order the uh, available little goodie kit that they made yes, that they made uh available so for people who couldn't get there so you, you had your pimento cheese and your egg right. salad shipped to right, you which i think's cool i don't know whether they'll keep doing it or not but they call it the taste of the masters and they send you a tub of pimento cheese tub of egg salad <laughs> who eats that stuff chocolate chip cookies caramel corn um, they send you the paper that they put the sandwiches on. They send you a stack of the plastic cups. Um, 
and uh, you, you can you can munch. I had a couple of pimento cheese sandwiches yesterday morning. So, uh, and, and of, all, of all the traditions at the Masters, uh, that that is one that has really stood the test of time. That a they they haven't really updated their concession menu, but b uh, at Augusta National, how in, insanely inexpensive those items are right right yeah it is yeah it's i mean they've raised the prices a little bit through the years but you you go to a major league ballpark i think the last time i went to atlanta game i got two pieces of pizza and a coke and it was 25 dollars um 20 you can eat tons of sandwiches for 25 (laughs) dollars at augusta i mean i that that's that's four trips to the concession stand, and uh, uh, so yeah, it. But they make their money elsewhere. I mean, they, they make their money off of TV, and then when they have a full house, the, the pro shops are stacked, and and that's the one thing. When I first started going there, the the golf shirts were run forty five to fifty dollars. Now they're eighty five dollars. So yeah, they bump those prices up. And people go down there, load up during practice rounds, run back to the car, instantly put that stuff on eBay. Yeah, all that goes on. So I, and then that, that's another thing they uh, they canceled. I, I've had tickets for the last two years for the women's am thing on Sunday or Saturday, and they canceled those tickets. So in lieu of canceling those tickets, they actually again bent a tradition and created an online golf shop. Now it doesn't have all of the items, but you can buy a hat or shirt or rain jacket and they allow you access and you they ship it to you. And I'm I'm wondering if that will continue. It used to be, hey, if you saw somebody with that Augusta National logo, you knew they'd been there. That's not the case anymore with eBay and everything else um so you know they're 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 that's one revenue stream they're definitely missing if they put up a 365 master's patron shop um they would clean up so well, it's not like they're hurting as it is exactly obviously we don't need no oh, no, no 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 they've got multi-millionaires, some billionaires from members, and they don't really care what the outside world thinks. So, um, I mean, the one year that they, uh, the sponsors got, pro, I mean, there was one year they went totally without sponsors. Mm-hmm. They just, I remember that. They footed the bill. I mean, it's, so you're not, you're not, not going to do anything to them that they can't handle. Those guys can write a check whenever they feel like it. This is episode 33 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. It's also the Dan Scott Show on WZLA in Abbeville. Good to have you along with us. Got the entire band together. Cobb Oxford, Tom Van Hoy, Dory Kidd-Smith going uh, counterclockwise as I look at my Zoom screen. Dave Glenn will be with us coming up in just a bit to uh, talk ACC uh, and beyond. Um, Tom, for, for our purposes uh piece of news that uh starts with Furman basketball and now ends in the southeastern conference is Noah Gurley who entered the transfer portal a couple of weeks back 
has decided that uh, he's going to finish his career. He's got two years of eligibility left. He's going to finish his career at the University of Alabama and go down there with Nate Oates. And Nate Oates obviously very familiar with Gurley because the last two seasons Furman and Alabama have played. Yeah, they played good games too, 83-80. You and I actually did that remotely and had the screen go blank, but that's another <laughs> another story for another time. But, yeah, I thought when I saw the list of uh, – of uh, potential places he would go. I thought for him, that would be a good fit. Uh, he's six, eight, uh, can play inside, likes to run the floor, athletic, can shoot the three. I think it was 33.9% beyond the arc this year. And when you take a look at Nate Oates, and I think if people don't know about his background, he was a high school coach, Michigan. He was a, a math guy and he, he runs and crunches all the numbers and in that their system, you got to be able to shoot the basketball uh, from the perimeter and, and not take any shots uh, really any mid-range jump shots just uh, near the rim and you've got the green light to go so I thought that was a good fit for Noah Gurley yeah it's an it's an interesting concept as, as analytics continues to mm-hmm. make its way uh, in every aspect of, of the sports world but at Alabama they, they shoot threes and they shoot shots yep. in the paint he, he does not want his players shooting mid-range jump shots yeah that's it I mean in the end like I said he, his background's in math and that's uh what he ran the numbers and looked at them and you're better off to shooting the three and making a certain percentage of those versus the mid range jumpers. And, and some of the stuff that I read about him too, was it, it was really difficult for a lot of these players when he first took over. Now he had really good success, Buffalo and, and uh, you know, he goes to Alabama in a couple of years, he turns that program completely around, but it was really difficult because you're used to, I don't know, maybe coming off the screen at the elbow. And I mean, they're going to shoot a few of those, but I mean, unless it's beyond the arc, unless it's almost particularly at the at the rim, he doesn't like those. And it was difficult. And you can imagine growing up playing basketball. And, and Dory, you may check in on this as well. How difficult that may, might be to say, hey, you know what? You can't. Sh- well, I don't want you to shoot those. And he'd have to stop practice and and say, hey, guys, don't shoot those. Are you th- trying to throw me into this conversation? Well, no, you play. I mean, you're the only one that I think that among the three of us that had any collegiate experience in that regard. Would you play? What would you think about that? Well, set it up for me one more time. Mr. Well, he's Tom not going to shoot any. He's not going to shoot anything at Alabama. Doesn't want to shoot anything but threes or almost directly at the rim. You drive down the lane, things like that. Kick it out. He doesn't want anything in the 15, 18, none of that. He doesn't want any of those type of shots. And he, and he bases it a lot on the analytics and, and the statistics that go along with that. And so, I mean, I think it would be, as you grow up playing basketball, it'd be real difficult to say, hey, don't take those shots. Well, you know, that's a good question, whether you would or not. I, mean, I remember when I played, which was a very, very long time ago. You did, I guess I may have been the only one, but that's decades ago. Um, the layup was right the highest percentage shot, so that's what we wanted to take. All the, the layup, drive and mm-hmm. lay it up. Um, but you know, you got these young kids that are watching the NBA, and all these guys are shooting from way downtown, way beyond the arc. Steph Curry, you know, that started to change. I think about the time he entered the NBA, he went to Davidson, right? And at Davidson, he was a great shooter, but he wasn't the phenom that he became once he turned pro. So you you have people like Steph Curry and and others who can shoot, I mean, they're just phenomenal from the three-point range, but I'm with you, Tom. I don't think that, I think that's exceptional. It shouldn't be the rule. And I think you should be able to shoot it from all over the floor. I don't, and you know, 15 to 18 foot jumpers, those are 
Those are great too, but I'm, I'm lost in this conversation. Who are we talking about at Alabama exactly? Are we talking about the coach here? Yeah, that, that's his philosophy. That's his philosophy, and I need to learn more about that. But I was I was wrapped up in the transfer portal, Dan, because you talked about that. Let's go back a little bit and talk about what's going on with Alabama. Uh, why, why are we talking about him specifically? Because Furman's uh, Noah Gurley transferred uh, to Alabama. He has two years of eligibility left as a grad student. And so he, he left Furman, and he uh, has chosen to go play at Alabama. And, and Furman and Alabama have played each of the last two years, so Nate Oates is obviously very familiar with with Noah Gurley. So it seems like it's a good fit because Noah's a guy who, who can shoot the three and obviously can, can face the basket or play with his back to the basket. So it, it would seem that he would be <clears throat> a good fit for that system. I, I just find it very interesting, uh, and, and, and Cobb, I'll come to you on this as, as kind of like me, kind of a, an old school guy who it, it, at least I'm willing to, to look at some of the things that analytics brings, but I don't think you should base everything you do strictly on analytics. Um, it, it's, it's, it's intriguing to see how the game has changed. And a lot of people blame it specifically on the three point line. Yeah. Well, I'll just say this back when I coached nine and 10 year old basketball, I had an innovative offense. I had a very innovative offense and, and I can agree with, with, um, with what's happening at Alabama. If you're open, shoot it. Just, I mean, that's it. If you're open, shoot it. Fire away. Because a bad shot is better than a turnover. I've always believed that, and I don't. And I like the fly, fact that you're letting it fly from three. I mean, what is it? You shoot 33% from three is like shooting 50% from two. Um, and yeah, you, you, of course, you take the easy basket if you can get it. But um, uh, the mid-range jumper's been kind of dead for a while now because what are, if you go watch kids play in the park? What are they doing? Are you shooting long-range jumpers or they're dunking it? Yeah. They're tearing the rim down. They're not going to shoot. They're not practicing their free throws, and they're not practicing a 10-, 12-foot jumper. It's just useless. So It's not I, useless, though. That's the thing. We need to – but, again, it depends on your perspective, and Cobb, I see you must be a ball hog. <laughs> I am. I was, a, I was a total ball hog. Yeah. But, you, know, you just – if you're open. That's okay. If you're open, fire. shoot it, I mean, and then you got to have some I mean, rebounders on the team. The, I mean, I mean you know, again, it takes five players. Well, and this can lead to the Baylor, the Baylor philosophy, which is hit the offensive glass. I mean, get the offensive glass. I mean, there you go. Fire offensive the ball, rebounding. Go get yeah. the ball. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Um, We're getting going to go down a rabbit hole of basketball here. Well, and when we um, do, when we do, after the break, we've got a guy who's pretty experienced at chasing those rabbits who's just joined us. Dave Glenn will be with us on the other side, and uh, we'll get to him, have him back after a week off on assignment as well. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't go away. I want to take just a moment here to tell you about my friend, chiropractor Brian Dooley in Pickens Family Chiropractic in downtown Pickens, South Carolina. He's been my chiropractor. I had some issues a number of years ago and went to him. He has the most modern technology, computerized posture and spinal scans. He took care of my issues. He will take care of yours as well. He's been serving the entire family with chiropractic services since 2007. To lead your best life, you need a healthy spine. 
hit a home run for your health with chiropractic care from Brian Dooley and Pickens Family Chiropractic. You can find more at the website, pickensfamilychiropractic.com, or call 864-898-3300. That's 864-898-3300. You can also schedule appointments online via the Facebook page, Pickens Family Chiropractic, LLC. Brian Dooley and Pickens Family Chiropractic. Tell them Dan Scott sent you. We are continuing to push forward here on the latest edition of uh, this get-together, whatever you want to call it, podcast, radio show, all kind of rolled into one. Don't know if we do any of it well, but we try and we have fun. I think that's probably the most important thing. After a week away, our cleanup hitter is back with us. Even though there are technically five of us on the uh, broadcast today, he's still the cleanup hitter. He's the masher. He is the guy who we go to for all the all the news that is the news around the world and the nation, as they used to say. Dave Glenn, athletic.com, the athletic subsite to Carolinas, founder of acc.com. He is here to do what he does. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Dan. Good to see you and your whole crew today. Yeah, we've got the band together for a limited time, I'm sure. Something will happen. It always does, but we enjoy it while we're here. Um, well, we just had a great discussion before we ever hit the record button. So I'm hoping we can kind of duplicate that again. And, and uh, when you told me you couldn't be with us last week, you, you were kind of uh, halfway apologetic, halfway upset. At least that's the way I took it because uh, there was some big news, uh, out of your alma mater, uh, with a basketball coaching search. We don't get too many of those at North Carolina. Yeah, it says a lot about where I am in my life and my career after about 30 years of being expected to be the guy to break the news about who was going to be the next head coach at Carolina. I was on a golf course. <laughs> so uh, my job description has changed. I was at Cape Fear National, one of the most beautiful courses in the Carolinas. Uh, so as that decision was being announced, I was far more worried about keeping my drive in the fairway than I was being the one to, to break the news that it was going to be Hubert Davis. And I think you all know from the outside, as well as I know from kind of a front row seat, if they were going to stay within the family, it was going to be a relatively quick hire. And if it was going to be somebody outside the family, it might take considerably longer. But uh, Hubert Davis had been at Roy Williams' side as an assistant for nine years. He, of course, played for Dean Smith back in the day. Uh, he, he was an ESPN broadcaster for a while. He was a, an unheralded recruit who turned himself into a 12-year NBA veteran after a great shooting career for the Tar Heels. So he's, he's a universally beloved person. He's about as nice a human being as you will ever meet. I've put it this way. I've never heard Hubert and I've known him for 30 plus years. I've never heard him say a bad thing about another person as he might add, not even a dookie. <laughs> and I've never heard anybody say anything negative about Hubert. Now that doesn't mean he's going to be a great head coach, but he is truly an amazing person. And, and because of those nine years as a right-hand man for Roy Williams, the Tar Heels were willing to pull the trigger on that hire even though he, his only head coaching experience is as the UNC JV coach, 
Uh, and he would not have been considered a candidate, you know, even five years ago or four years ago, if Roy Williams had retired when his wife asked him to after the 2017 national championship at Carolina, obviously he hung around four more years and with timing meaning so much in life and in sports and in careers, uh, Hubert was the right answer in AD Bubba Cunningham's eyes and a lot of others eyes to take over a program that has only had five head coaches since 1961. There have been 12 United States presidents in the last 60 years. There've only been five UNC head basketball coaches. So Hubert Davis is stepping into one heck of a tradition, obviously. Well, at least in, at least in the last 30 years or so of that, uh, the, the uh, coaches of North Carolina have gotten paid better than the president of the United States. So yeah. that, that probably comes into play. Cobb, you were going to say something. Yeah, I, I was going to ask Dave, uh, the, the, the most interesting quote that Roy had was he just felt like he wasn't the man for the job anymore. Do you think the direction we're going in with wild, wild west transfer portals and uh, just everything else, the, the name, image, and likeness, I mean, we've got a lot of stuff that's getting ready to hit us in the face that we're not going to recognize college college athletics those of us who have been around it for most of our lives uh was that probably the determining factor you think things are changing quickly and I reminded people that Roy Williams 20 years ago said that he had soured on recruiting so much that he considered stepping away from college basketball this is prior to even leaving Kansas for Carolina so he's always been somebody who really takes things personally. Some people believe that that deputy dog, all shucks personality is an act. It's not. It's really who he is. I've known him since he was an assistant to Dean Smith back in the 1980s. He is somebody who just feels things deeply. And in 2021, it got to the point, Cobb, and you ask a great question. You know Roy well enough to know there's no way on God's green earth he's going into his retirement press conference and throwing young people under the bus and talking about prima donnas or selfish players or overactive parents or, you know, what's in it for me, that whole attitude. There's no way he was going to do that. However, he has, he's on the record. I'm not speculating. He said if he had not met three families – back in the late 1990s at Kansas. Yep, yep. It was Nick Collison, Drew Gooden, and Kirk Heinrich. And he had gotten so tired of middlemen with their hands out and so tired of losing a recruit where he knew another school paid money to get the recruit. And he was tired of overactive dads and just all the nonsense. He said if he hadn't met those three young men and their families that year, He's not sure he could have stayed in college basketball. Well, fast forward two decades. Now he's got extra layers that you just described, right? What's the name image likeness going to look like? How does Walker Kessler, a prominent seven foot big man, transfer out of the program after only one year under Roy Williams? I think this hurt Roy. He loved the young man, loved his family, thought he had a decent freshman year figured he'd be a prominent player for the next however many years he stayed before jumping to the NBA. It's just sort of the way Roy Williams thinks of the natural evolution of a college basketball player. And instead, Walker Kessler and his dad said, 
we don't think you have our NBA vision in mind for our style of play as a seven footer. He wants to shoot more threes. So we're out the exit door and we're transferring somewhere else. I got to interject here. Isn't that Walker Kessler's fault for, for, okay. He knows what kind of system Roy Williams runs and he chose to go to North Carolina anyway. Doesn't he share at least part of the blame there? It's, it's a fair question. This is when all of us would like to be a fly on the wall. As I know Roy Williams, he's not promising playing time. He, he famously does not promise what others often promise. According to Walker Kessler and his family, on the recruiting trail, Roy Williams mentioned other UNC big men who were given the freedom to shoot three-pointers. Now, y'all, y'all remember, for example, a Luke May. Luke May was not a seven-foot oak tree in the low post. Luke May was kind of an outside, inside, six-foot-ten guy that, yes, you'd ask to play down low, but also was allowed to shoot three-pointers. My point, Dan, is, is I think similar to yours. Walker Kessler took enough three-pointers that we know what he shot from three-point land, and it was 25%. <laughs> Uh, from Dean Smith through Roy Williams and most other coaches we know, if you're hitting 35% or more of your threes in practice, you're allowed to take them in games, whether you're five foot eight or seven foot three. If you're hitting 25%, you're probably not allowed to, you don't get the green light come game day. So Walker had a chance to take a small number of threes, only hit 25%. Roy Williams, I promise you, would show you Luke May's statistics, which included being a bad three-point shooter as a freshman. And he didn't take a whole lot. Why? Because he wasn't very good at it. Later, Luke May showed he could hit threes. Luke May was allowed to take more threes. Maybe that's an old-fashioned approach to things. I don't think it is. I think it's a logical approach to things. But yes, a combination of things pushed Roy Williams. It's Back to Cobb's point, it is not just the changing nature of college basketball. It is Roy Williams tiring of some old things, some new things about college basketball, some escalating things like transfers and NIL. But you know what it also is, guys? He has told us for a long time, I'm not going to be one of those coaches who dies in that chair. He, he, He loves his grandchildren. He loves playing golf. He loves traveling with his wife, Wanda. He loves being a fan, sometimes supporting the Tar Heels in other sports. He'll pop up at a volleyball game in Chapel Hill or a baseball game or whatever else. And he'll tell you, if you wait until you're 80 or older to retire, you're not getting on the carpet with your grandchildren and playing with them. You're not playing at Augusta National Golf Club the way Roy Williams did twice the week before his retirement press conference. You can't do as many of those things in your 80s as you can a fairly healthy 70-year-old, 7-0. He didn't want to be Jim Boeheim still coaching at 77 years old. He didn't want to be Mike Krzyzewski, who will turn 75 this coming season. That's just not in his wiring as a human being. His mentor, Dean Smith, retired in his late 60s. I knew it was going to be late 60s or early 70s for Roy. I didn't know it was going to be 2021. But this, this was coming for quite a while. Uh, again, four years ago, his wife asked him to retire. So uh, those who were familiar with those little secrets knew that 
Roy Williams was going to retire at some point in the next two or three years. Tom. So Dave, you were, you were on the golf course when you heard about it, right? What you said earlier. Yes. And when I heard about it too, I, I looked, uh, okay, let me double check here. This is uh, what day is this? This is April 1st. Did you, <laughs> did, you, did you think it was true or did it surprise you? I mean, like, did you have a double take? Like, Hey, we better check this out. It's a great question, Tom. And here's the bottom line. If that tweet had come from anything but an official UNC account, I would not have <laughs> believed it on April 1st. I know Carolina well enough to know that their sense of humor doesn't go that deep. Because yeah, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you, when, when they put that out and, and, then, and then tagged it with the the, the, the sheet, I, I call it, uh, the graphic yeah. that had all of Roy's accomplishments, I immediately scrolled to the bottom through all those accomplishments to yeah, see if the, if the last line was April Fool. And, and it. it wasn't. No, uh, I know Steve Kirshner, the – the longtime men's basketball media relations guy, SID type guy. And he's not, he's not goofing around with the retirement of a hall of fame. <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. Who, what, you know, he's fourth tied for fourth with most NCAA titles, third most wins in D one men's basketball history, 400 plus wins at two different universities. I don't know. Maybe you goof around on April fool's day with your, your, cross-country coach but you're not goofing around with Roy Williams and UNC basketball well I'll tell you there was one other thing and you mentioned that is back in the day when I was in the Midwest there was an April Fool's joke about uh it was one of the radio station guys that said that George Brett was going to be had been traded and let's just put it this way it it didn't go well so you gotta you gotta pick your 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 topic and what you want to do with it that's well put Tom (laughs) you know so many of us in this industry spend decades trying to build and prove our credibility. So I, I have always run in the opposite direction when it comes to April <laughs> Fool's Day jokes. I just want to skip that day entirely because I, I don't I don't want to go down those roads. It's, it's hard enough to get things right in the normal course of things. Yeah, and I have a lot of friends who are Tar Heel fans and they were in mourning. I mean, it was a sad day. Yeah. But I will say this, and then we're going to have to change the subject because I was, I'm afraid we're going to lose Cobb Oxford if we keep talking about North Carolina <laughs> basketball. We don't want to lose Cobb Ox there. So I just want to say it was very respectful. The whole thing, I applaud the University of North Carolina, the basketball program, and how that exchange, that you know, passing of the baton took place. It was, um, it There was a lot of love and respect there between, you could tell, Hubert Davis. Yeah. I mean, as he assumes the role, he's also saying – you know, Coach Williams, Roy is going to keep his office space, maybe, or he's, he, they're friends, you know, there's love, there's respect, they're friends. But now it's, you know, it's Hubert, he's the, he's the man, and everybody seems to be on board with it, which I love. I mean, everybody that is a Tar Heel fan in my circle, they're uh, very enthusiastic about it. But let me sort of do a little segue about uh, North Carolina and how that's shaking out and all of these transfers. We were talking earlier about Noah Riley transferring from Furman to Alabama and how these kids are going to transfer to places where the philosophy aligns with their skill set, basically. Um, but let's talk about Bill Self because that happened last week too. You were probably on the golf course when you heard that he signed a lifetime contract at Kansas. And there's, you know, this is where I am in my life right now. I I really applaud anyone who can sort of stand your ground 
stick to your guns, have that loyalty. You know, North Carolina, as, as you mentioned, this is only the fifth head coach since 61. I mean, they keep it in the family. Everyone that's been the head coach at North Carolina has a connection, a deep yeah. connection to the university. So Bill Self, who, you know, has, is at the University of Kansas, is, I guess it's a rotating every five years. He has the option to leave. Um, I feel like that's kind of giving the NCAA a little bit of the middle finger. And I love it. I have to say that. I mean, that's, let's talk about that. This transfer port, all the stuff that we know is going to change next year. Cobb, I hope you're wrong. I don't think, I hope next year, after next year, it'll sort of resolve itself. But we have all these seniors who are getting to play their fifth year. And a lot of them, you know, kudos to them. They've graduated. So they're graduate students. And they're, I mean, Clemson had, I think, three or four players, right, Cobb, to sign into the transfer, to transfer. I know John Newman is leaving. He's going to UNC Greensboro. I don't know if you knew that. Um, yep. A couple of other guys are, are leaving maybe to go. I know that uh, J.P. Mormon at Temple is leaving to go to UC Riverside uh, because I think they're, the philosophy of the coaches is what they're looking for. And they're all looking, I think, to continue to play basketball at the next level. So it's going to be an interesting 2021-2022 basketball year for sure. It will, and I, I don't want to drive any stakes through Cobb Oxford's heart in the figurative sense, but since you brought up the Carolina family, I want to add something that I'm not sure. Y'all can stop me if you've heard this before, but just to understand that Hubert Davis is not, quote-unquote, just another member of the family. I'm not kidding you when I say this. Hubert Davis's uncle was Walter Davis, an All-American with the Tar Heels. And just to show you how deep the roots go, when Hubert Davis was six years old in the state of Virginia, his uncle Walter was a player for Dean Smith at Carolina, and Dean Smith was the head coach of Team USA. The 1976 Olympics happened to be in Montreal, Canada. The Davis family drove from Virginia to Montreal to watch Team USA under the beloved Dean Smith with Uncle Walter Davis as a player. Phil Ford was also a star point guard for the Tar Heels. Driving back from Montreal to, to six-year-old Hubert Davis's home, he was in the back seat. Mom and dad were in the front seat. To his one side was Phil Ford with the gold medal around his neck. And to Hubert, six-year-old Hubert's other side was Uncle Walter Davis with another gold medal around his neck. So this is a young man who literally painted the walls of his bedroom, Carolina Blue, when he was little, revered Uncle Walter. And there's even a story that when Dean Smith and his longtime assistant, Bill Guthridge, were recruiting Walter Davis, Hubert was only three years old. And as a joke, Bill Guthridge wrote to the family that they were unofficially beginning the recruiting of three-year-old Hubert Davis. <laughs> So you had a three-year-old recruiting letter to that drive home to the Olympics to treating Dean Smith like a godlike figure who later told Hubert he didn't think he was good enough to play at Carolina. That's a true story. And Hubert Davis talked Dean Smith. Roy Williams helped talk Dean Smith out of the idea. Dean's idea was, we love your family so much, Hubert. We've seen you play high school. We know you're a Division I player. But we don't believe if you sign with the Tar Heels, you're going to play a lot. And we think it would be a disservice to your family for us to sign you only to have you ride the bench for four years. 
And Hubert Davis asked Dean Smith to reconsider. And Roy Williams on the drive home asked Dean Smith to reconsider. Obviously, he did. And Hubert Davis turns himself not into a great, not only a great college player, but a 12-year NBA veteran. So the Carolina family is a, is a real thing. Hubert Davis has about 10 layers of the Carolina family, and it made for you know, that, that almost unanimous celebration that you were describing the day that he was announced as the next coach. Dave, we got about two minutes before we have to, to wrap this segment up. Um, just coming off of a completed NCAA tournament, and uh, I think it's worth you giving us your, your yearly math lesson because uh, the deeper a team goes in the tournament, the more money it yeah. means for not only it but for the league. And story that I saw uh, as Oregon State was making its run that after they had won the first two games in the tournament, or maybe it was three games in the tournament, that that was going to mean over $500,000 for every Pac-12 team. So just educate us again on that math and how that works because that's that's maybe the one time that some people would say it's okay to root for a conference as opposed to yeah. an individual team. Yeah, it's a little complicated, but trying to get to the basics – you are getting for your conference more than a million dollars for every bid. It's, in other words, every team you get into the tournament. And then your conference gets a million more dollars each time a league team wins a game. So this was not a vintage year, obviously, for the ACC. And they also don't do it, Dan, on a year-by-year -year basis. It's a six-year rolling basis. So when the ACC in 2016, won 19 games as a league, 19 victories mm. plus seven teams got in. That's kind of 20. Think of that as a $26 million type year that stays in the rotation for six years. So those better years offset these lesser years where you might not have as many teams that get bids and maybe they don't go as far, but the ACC is well-stocked you know, because they've won three of the last six national championships, right? They, they've mostly gotten seven, eight, nine teams into the big dance. So financially speaking, the NCAA tournament continues to be a cash cow for the NCAA, but also the ACC. They just need to uh, keep improving their TV money and their football product if they want to catch up to the SEC and the Big Ten, who right now are kind of the kings of the financial universe. All right, Dave, tell everybody how they can keep up with what you're doing and your universe. On Twitter, at David Glenn Show. Online, theathletic.com and accsports.com. Outstanding websites with all of your favorite content on the topics that we love most. All right, sounds like a plan. Thank you, as always. That's Dave Glenn, and we'll be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back. Uh, it's the uh, final little segment of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters, episode 33. Cobb Oxford is here. Tom Van Hoy is here. Dory Kidd-Smith is here. Our thanks to Dave Glenn for doing what he does. And uh, a little, little bonus coverage here before we, we wrap it up. Um, for Dory and, and Cobb especially, you guys survived all of the Carolina Blue talk in that segment with Dave Glenn I, I'm, I'm proud of you for uh, for hanging in there 
No, he's great. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it's it was... now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad your, your room Bill there. Walter Cobb Davis is... and I did life. <laughs> break out. But it's good okay. for Carolina. Good for them. Tom, Tom it, it, Dory was trying to circle. I mean, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. He, he, so. Tom, uh, Dory was trying to circle Dave back to to the uh, Bill Self lifetime mm-hmm. contract, and, and this is a very interesting approach because uh, th- they are one of the schools uh, that came under the FBI investigation, as along with Arizona, along with LSU. Uh, Arizona, as Cobb mentioned, uh, has parted ways with uh, with uh, Sean Miller after twelve seasons. Don't know what LSU is going to do with Will Wade uh, as of yet, if anything. But uh, Kansas just said, you know what, Bill Self, we want you here forever. We don't care. What, what, yeah, what's, they, what's that philosophy all about? Well, the, they're all in, let's put it that way, in terms of fighting the NCAA. And there are five level one accusations. I mean, that, that's, that's big time stuff, accusations from the NCAA about, about violations uh, that did occur. And, and Kansas has disputed it from day one. They've, you know, you know, submitted war and peace, whatever, 500 pages or, or so uh, uh, on all the allegations that, that they've made. So um, they, they, they are going to fight it all the way. And, uh, and they did this when they had the situation with uh, their football coach, Les Miles, and then the athletic director got fired. And so this decision came about when Kansas really didn't even have an, an athletic director and the way it plays out, if you read it and visit with some people, it's, you know, they didn't want to put that, uh, they wanted to do this, but they didn't want to put the, the onus on the new athletic director coming in to, to, to make that uh, ultimate decision on, on uh, uh, the situation in terms of basketball. So they went down that road, as Dory said, with the five-year deal, and, and then it rolls over to the next year. So we'll see how it plays out because there are very serious uh, allegations against the University of Kansas and their basketball program. And they're they're gonna fight it, fight it. I think like nobody else ever has. Cobb, I, I, so I kind of let, let me ask you something yeah, first, Cobb. Who Kyle, wants because, to dive on that AD? Who wants to what? Who wants to dive on that? Who wants to dive on that on that AD hand grenade at Kansas? <laughs> well, yes. Between the the problems with the football program, True. can't win, and of course, unless Miles ran into his problems, but he wasn't the answer anyway. And then you've still got this massive investigation hanging over the head of the basketball program. I mean, yeah. Do you want to be the AD, right? (laughs) Right. And and they did. Here's your punishment. uh, You get to be the AD in Kansas. But you know, talking talking about keeping it in the family with uh, with North Carolina, and and at some point we'll we'll get into Duke on another podcast. I'm sure about what they might want to do at, at a certain point. But they hired somebody that uh, is from Dodge City, somebody that uh, knew uh, and has the the background with the University of Kansas, which school there. So uh, I think in that regard, uh, you kind of know what you're getting into. This was a guy who was at Tulane. This was a guy that. Then when Katrina went through there, and I don't know if you all remember those stories, but Tulane had the, they're gone. I mean, they're, the athletes went everywhere. And the one thing they wanted to do there was to 
continue on with athletic. Now they had to play in like Dallas and some other places like that. So he knows how to handle very adverse conditions. And the other part about that is you've got to be, Kansas is so good in basketball, but you've got to be good at the division one level in football to raise money and, and have a chance to, to be more successful from a revenue standpoint. At one point, Kansas had a basketball player that played about 1974, uh, final four team that got in the oil business in Oklahoma, made a lot of money. He came back and donated $10 million. He donated $10 million to the football program because he knew that to have success, you needed to, you needed to have. Tom keeps dropping his microphone. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this thing keeps falling out of my. I'm lucky I found this one. If my 13 year old daughter didn't have some kind of an extension, I wouldn't even have this. So yeah. anyway, That's the bottom line chance. is the bottom line is they're uh, they're going to there it goes again. They're going to uh, they're going to fight it. There's no question about it. Whether they win or lose, we'll find out at the end. But it's just not one. It's five uh, yeah. level one accusation. That's 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 a big deal. Well, it. It's interesting to me, sorry to interrupt, but you, you said that when they made the decision with the Bill Self contract, they didn't want to put that onus on an incoming athletic director. I look at it the other way. Why not let the new athletic director make that decision? Because what you've done now is maybe put the proverbial albatross around his neck. I mean, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. And again, I'm not in the loop and just what I'm reading, like everybody else is that they wanted to give him a, he's got a lot of this He's got a lot of, a lot of things on the table to try to get, to get rectified there, particularly on the, on the football side of things as well. And then with all the accusations against basketball. So, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. It, it took a while, as you guys mentioned for Arizona to finally make that decision. And then the cob you're talking about, uh, the audio tapes and so forth of uh, of uh, Wade at uh, at LSU. There are audio tapes of a Kansas assistant that said a couple of things. But you, it all depends on what colored glasses you wear, guys. You know that how you want to interpret some of that stuff. I think the uh, the uh, lawyer for a, lawyer for a, a former president once famously said, you know, what what is the definition of is. Or something along those lines. You yeah, know? Yeah, they're, they're going to be dissecting every <clears throat> every single word, and and, and obviously have. Uh, anything else on any of your overflowing minds before we put a wrap on things? Well, I wanted to circle back to the Masters. I was enjoying listening to Cobb talk about it. You and I, uh, rather Tom, uh, talked about how he watched the Masters yesterday. Or who was it that watched? I actually listened on the radio, guys, for the first time ever. I listened to a golf tournament on the radio yesterday as I was driving. It was definitely a first to not be watching the Masters on TV, but I was traveling and I enjoyed the broadcast so much, and I, it just brought back an appreciation for that. And I need to listen to Dan and Tom do a broadcast soon because I know you guys have been working your tails off. And I love to listen and have sort of my own visual of what's going on based off of the commentary. Nick Faldo, Sir Nick Faldo and uh, Jim Nance were the commentators yesterday. And I was driving, just being able to picture what was going on down in Augusta as I was sort of, sort of cheering for Ideki. Matsuyama, but sort of, I liked it. I liked that little possibility that Xander, what was his last name? Shuffle. Say it for me, Cobb. Xander's 
sharply. He made a little bit of a run, right? He was coming within two shots. And so there was some drama. But I just, I appreciated the entire day because we had a Japanese man win the Masters and it was great. It was, he, he actually won 10 years ago, the low amateur title, evidently. And so 10 years of grinding it out and a lot of pressure. And how American is it that we are applauding the victory? I think it was great. Yesterday was a good day. So I'm holding on to that for the rest of the week, okay? Cobb, we're going to keep it positive. Well, it was a, a little bit of a return to normal. I mean, let's right. let's face it. That's one of the one of the things that that we've kind of been talking about publicly and and privately uh, over the last few months, and 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 even over the last year is is getting back to some semblance of normal, or as I like to say, my <clears throat> my personal normal level of abnormality. But 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 playing the Masters in April when it's supposed to be played after not doing it in 2020, I, I think that was a little bit of little bit of uh, normality that everybody needed and, and I'm not a huge golf fan but but knowing that it was there gives you some sort of comfort level right yeah in South Carolina Dustin Johnson is now forever in history the shortest reigning Masters champion in fact didn't even make the cut so um, but had to hang around for the weekend to present the jacket so um, but uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a good tournament. Again, not the most compelling Masters, but it it uh, is just a great event. It is. So, do you have any leftover egg salad sandwiches? Oh, I I don't even think I've cracked. I'm not an egg salad fan. So the pimento Somebody cheese else has to eat that. Okay. Yeah, he he, po- he he posted well, a picture. He he posted a back, picture of a. Back, a I'm going downstairs and have one right now. A pretty much empty <laughs> pimento yeah. cheese container on on Facebook. So, oh really? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'm yep. off of social media, so I didn't see it. There you go. Anything else before we wrap it up, guys? And gal. Cobb, you happy with, happy with your braids? I'll see you at the pickleball court. Oh boy. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, actually, no, you won't. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Dude. Sounds good. All right. We'll do it all Enjoy again it. next week. Thanks. All See right. you guys. Bye, y'all. Enjoyed it. Bye. And with that, we will put a wrap on episode 33 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Our thanks to uh, Cobb Oxford for making it back-to-back weeks. How about that? Dory Kid Smith, Tom Van Hoy, as always, and Dave Glenn for doing his usual phenomenal job with us. The uh, podcast is presented every episode by Tadaro Pizza in Greenville. TadaroPizza.com is the website. Also, they have the Sloan Street location in Clemson if you're in the upstate. That is still for uh, pickup and delivery only, but hopefully they'll be opening up soon. And uh, also brought to you in part by Ed Patterson, your State Farm agent in Greenville, the Hall of Fame Sports Grill on Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville, Hank's Beverage, the Atlanta Bragg Company, Pickens Family Chiropractic, and Motive Gym with our uh, American Ninja Warrior here in the upstate of South Carolina, Booty Cothran, who we'll be having on the show slash podcast in the not-too-distant future because he just competed again. We're going to talk about that. Have yourself a great rest of your week. We'll see you again next week with another episode. Until then, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.